The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Inspired, informed, motivated, and recharged on radio's favorite power hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Every day is a stellar day on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Let's get this party started. Cynthia will be back to kick it all off after this break. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Bethestarur.org. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, we are getting this party started. Hello, Power Partners. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And this is actually Heart Healthy Month. So Heather and I, in our Tea for Two, we're going to be talking about heart disease and what you can do to prevent it. It is the number one killer of women. And in segment two, you are going to meet Hovey Smith, who has written a book that is going to help us uh, have healthy dinners and cut our food bills with uh, many different ways with uh, backyard deer hunting. And in segment three, it's like drum roll, please. We're going to announce the sixth annual Be the Star You Are essay contest mm. sponsored by Bill Gladstone's book, The Twelve. So stay tuned for everything. It's going to be a fun day. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Life Success Coaching. To book your session, call 925-377-STAR or visit star-style.com. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. That was by Albert Einstein, the same person who said (laughs) that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, as we know, February being Heart Healthy Month, it is the heartening truth that heart disease, the number one killer of women, is almost entirely preventable. 
It is called the silent killer for a reason, because by the time you have chest pains or you have shortness of breath, the process is incredibly advanced. Unless you have congenital or genetic predisposition to cardiovascular disease, for the most part, you are in control of your heart health, and you can dramatically lower your risk by 80% or more through diet, exercise, and lifestyle changes. So in this T42, a mother-daughter brew, Heather and I wanted to challenge you to reduce your risk today and to give you some concrete ways that are very simple for you to do. So, Heather, let's talk a little bit about how we can get our heart healthier and what are some of the problems that women are facing. Well, exactly. And as you said, February is heart healthy. It's, uh, they always say go wear red for um, February, not only for Valentine's Day, but in honor of um, a heart-healthy month, and especially for women. As you were saying, um, that more, the number one killer of women is cardiovascular disease, is heart disease. Uh, four to six, um, American women are four to six more times more likely to die of um, heart disease than breast cancer. And we always think of breast cancer as the number one killer of women, and it's simply not true. And it can start at any age, surprisingly enough, it can become onset as early as the teenage years because it all, as you just said, with lifestyle. And, start- and we're finding it more um, in the teenage years now because of the fast food, the obesity rates, all of this contributes. Exactly. As, exactly. As young teenage girls, that's why to start early, make sure you have an active lifestyle, that you don't smoke, that you're not eating foods rich in uh, saturated fats and trans fats and high in cholesterol. And, Physical activity is so big, too. And though some things are hereditary that it's passed on, you have the ability to lower your risk as well. And with the same, some great things, um, some real big lifestyle changes that will affect your overall health and, most importantly, your heart. Um, is get active. There's no, I, you know, just recently I've been trying to find little ways to add a few more steps into my day. And so now when I go to work, I park my car a few blocks away. I leave about five minutes earlier than I would from the house and I park a few blocks away. And just those extra few minutes of walking, I feel better when I get to work and then going back to my car. So there's little things like that. You can park farther away at work, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Another thing, eat better. Just as I said before, trans fats, saturated fats, that is not a bad thing. As we talked about monosaturated fat, olive oils, avocados, natural fats are very good for you. Uh, but it's still important to monitor what kind of fat. It's well, and while we're talking about food, we have to learn to be a sodium sleuth, too, because the average woman consumes nearly 50% more than the recommended daily sodium threshold, which is 2,400 milligrams. So if we lay off the salt shaker, that helps. But a big thing is, is don't eat the canned foods, processed foods. 80% of all sodium comes from processed foods. And so and surveys can uh, reveal that three out of four people aren't even aware that breakfast cereals and breads often are sky high in sodium, and we got to lay off. That's very important. Always read your label, because a big thing, too, now is a lot of these foods that are low in fat or sugar-free, uh, when you take out those things, you take out a lot of the flavor. And we all know salt creates flavor. So what do a lot of these processed foods do, or just these companies that they have the good intention, that you know, we've remo- now this candy bar is fat-free. Well, by removing the fat, they need to um, enrich the flavor. So they've been pumping it full of sodium. Um, so just make sure you're reading everything in the label. Don't just look at the calories. Don't just look at the fat. Look at the overall everything to find out what you're getting and what your calories are consuming of. Another thing, lose weight. All those things are great. The less, um, the less weight, the less fatty tissue around your heart, the less pressure it is on your heart. And that well, and you know, huge. one way to lose weight besides the exercise is to really try eating the way the Mediterranean people do, which is, you know, switching from the diet that's high, as you said, in saturated fats, and instead uh, raising your good cholesterol with lots of focus on fruits and vegetables and whole grains and nuts and seeds and, um, you know, uh, fish with the omega-3s and poultry. And, of course, drink a glass of red wine. Exactly. And that was actually something I was just about to get into is manage your cholesterol levels. Now, cholesterol is a soft, fatty-like, wax substance 
um, that floats around the bloodstream. And your body makes up 75% of the cholesterol in your body is in your blood is made up from your body itself. It comes from two things. It comes from uh, the foods you eat and just your body on its own. And so it's really good to know your LDL. That's your bad cholesterol. If you don't know um, your overall cholesterol level, go in and get that done. It's never, if you have health insurance or even a lot of clinics, community-based things will do this. Get a lipid panel done. Find out your good cholesterol, your bad cholesterol, and your overall cholesterol. Um, Let's talk about that overall cholesterol for a minute because very often cholesterol, high cholesterol is hereditary. And if you have high uh, good cholesterol, it can override the bad cholesterol. Yes, definitely. And they, they say a cholesterol level of over 200 um, milligram DL, I'm not sure what that exactly, um, puts you at a higher risk category. So it's, it's things to manage your cholesterol, what they always say, you know, oatmeal, activity, uh, reduce, don't smoke. We always go back to don't smoke. Smoking, one thing does is it causes fatty tissue in the heart to build up. And that just further increases. That's why you hear people needing these triple bypass and these cardiac arrests is that the blood becomes, um, the arteries pumping into the blood, or the arteries, pump, the arteries pumping into, into the, the heart, heart become blocked up with this, um, the cigarettes and everything causes fatty tissue in the same thing happens with cholesterol as well. So go in, it's a quick, you have to do a 12-hour fasting. Uh, they get your blood levels. They get your. They manage your sugar levels as well, and that's such a big thing. It's a false thing to think that diabetes is caused purely from having a sugar tooth. Again, it has much hereditary things, and it's your overall lifestyle. It's the way you eat, your activity, uh, smoking, lifestyle choices. Everything you do is re- affects. That's kind of you know the butterfly effect. Every action has a reaction. This. Well, I have something that I wanted to add about lifestyle because I think this is very important for women is go out with the girls. You're so great about that. You always have, you know, you go out with your girlfriends and and Mm. that helps just as much as meeting up with your pals because researcher has shown, this is like from the University of Chicago, a research paper that says lonely people have high blood pressure levels that are 10 to 30 points higher than people who are sociable. So bonding with your girlfriends keeps stress at bay because when you go out with the gals, you tend to talk about what's going on in your life, and the mere fact of talking about it lowers your blood pressure. I love it. And that's I, know, I love too, it. Actually, it's like, let's have more fun, girls. It's girl yeah, time. Party and that's time. Something, and that's something, too, about knowing your blood pressure. Now, having... Low blood pressure doesn't exactly mean it's any healthier. There's always that happy medium. If your blood pressure is too low, it can mean actually that your heart isn't pumping at the correct rate. Things that are that can cause that, um, you know, if you're taking particular medications, uh, if you're underweight, if you're sick. Sometimes you know, just be aware of these things. If you ever get up too fast and you're and you feel lightheaded, it can mean that you have low blood pressure. And low lower is definitely better than higher. But make sure it's not too low because some, that's where, you know, people actually pass out because their blood pressure gets too low. So just make you know, sure we were know- talking about sodium there, Heather, um, and something that you're really great at, but we need more potassium as women. So have a baked potato or, or eat a banana. We're supposed yes. to be having uh, twice as much potassium in our system. I definitely fulfill that. You you eat a lot of potassium. But, you know, it says in all the studies I was reading is that we need twice as much potassium as sodium daily. So if we could, and we could half our risk of dying from cardiovascular disease if we do that. So most Americans consume only half of the 4,700 milligrams that are recommended and the foods that are really high in potassium are baked potatoes or just potatoes and bananas now that doesn't mean put the baked potato with all the sour cream and tons of butter you can put a little bit on but the potato itself is a very very healthy vegetable for you so we really need to do that and as you're speaking of eating eating in in other words preparing your own foods is much healthier than if eating out because Usually restaurants are higher in those saturated fats. They have more salt and calories than what you really uh, serve, you know, for 
your family. So I think that that's really important. And again, you know, getting something fishy going on, make sure that you get lots of those good fatty fish, you know, flaxseed, um, eat some walnuts. The fatty fishes are like sardines and mackerel and salmon because we need those omega-3s. And um, we also need to drink orange juice. Oh, and one thing other I found that I thought was interesting, which which made me happy because I'm such a sun lover, and that is women have a high level of vitamin D deficiency, usually in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and then they're high, they are more likely to develop that high blood pressure that leads to the disease. So even if we just get a little bit, 10 minutes of uh, sunshine every day, it's going to be helpful for us. And one thing I just wanted to point out, too, regarding heart attacks and strokes, uh, men and women have very different symptoms, and that's why a lot of times women don't, it isn't caught by women. More women, more women die from strokes uh, than men. 42% of women who have had a stroke will die in the first year, compared to 24% of men. And men and women show different warning signs, um, as when you know men feel a sharp pain in uh, their chest or their arm goes numb. That's not the same for women. A lot of women, um, in fact, they they uh, they did a study on this, and 71% of women said they experienced symptoms that felt more like the flu, often with no chest pain at all. And so, for typical symptoms, that you know they may say they had a neck or shoulder pain, maybe some abdominal pain, even nausea. Uh, or shortness of breath, things that don't sound, um, that don't, people don't uh, immediately recognize as a heart attack. So if all these things are coming on very quickly, you, know, you were not sick before, better be safe than sorry. Call your doctor. Call 911. Um, this could be a possible heart attack or stroke. And, and this is why it's called the silent uh, killer. You know, most of the research on heart disease has been done on men. So women really are in the dark about it. And as you said, we don't have the same symptoms. We don't have the same warning signs. So really critical, if you are feeling ill or, or listless like this, it's better to get checked out. You do want to be safe. There were a couple other things, Heather, that I thought were very, very interesting. Of course, we all know we want to re- reduce our stress, but... I was reading that if you, uh, you know, are married or you have a partner or you sleep in a room that is near a uh, busy street and there's noise outside or your, your partner is snoring, the nighttime noise increases the odds of developing high blood pressure by 45%. So the American wow. Heart Association actually recommends wearing earplugs to bed. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting because I know for me that if I don't get a good night's sleep, I am miserable the next day. I really almost can't function. So getting a a good night's sleep is really important. Something else that's really important if you want to kind of keep your blood pressure and your blood flow in check, and that is call a funny friend. Laughter will boost your blood flow by 22%. And so, you know, besides that feel-good endorphin that gets in there, it, uh, the, the, the lining of your vessels or the inside of your blood vessels, they relax when you laugh. So over the long run, that can prevent your arteries from hardening, and then it lowers your risk of heart attack and stroke. So, and hey, let's just laugh more. Laugh, that's laugh a good one. Is the best medicine. Yeah, laughter is always the best medicine. <laughs> And that's what you know, I was just saying, too, is reducing your stress levels will, again, reducing your blood pressure. Eating a diet, I always recommend to my patients when they have high blood pressure, of eating more potassium-rich foods, of taking a walk, of just taking, you know, sit back, think about things that could be possible stressors. When you're stressed out, you're not eating right, you're not sleeping correctly. Sleep is such a great thing. I hear our music, so we need to start checking out our website. I know. It always goes by just way too fast, doesn't it? Well, ending studies have shown that small steps dramatically will help your heart. So just implement a few of these reduction techniques because the life you save will be your own. Give out the websites, Heather. Most definitely. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com. 
or myspace.com forward slash Carmony Clutches, both with a K. And when we return, we'll be talking with award-winning author William Hovey Smith, who will teach us how to hunt for and prepare wild game for pennies on the pound. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Back in a bit. Stay with us. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the star you are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thank you for staying with us. We are talking about being healthy this month, and tough economic times mean we have to really take a good look at numerous practical ways to make ends meet, to feed our families, to live a confident life. Prize-winning author William Hovey Smith has written 13 books, numerous magazine and newspaper articles, as well as contributed to so many blogs. And his titles include Practical Bow Fishing, Crossbow Hunting, and he stresses eating natural foods from the outdoors with his book, Backyard Deer Hunting, Converting Deer to Dinner for Pennies on the Pound. Welcome, Hovey, to Billy the Star You Are. Well, thanks very much, Cynthia. I'm glad to be on. Well, I am really delighted because this, your book is something so different than what we've ever had on. And you really have excellent recipes in here that are healthy, but ways that people can prepare good food in inexpensive ways and get it very close to home. Now, before we get into the hunting part, you are a professional registered geology, a geologist and you've traveled all over the United States on different expeditions, you know, meeting people, seeing how they respond to hunting. Tell me a little bit about the different ways that people are finding their food here in America according to your experiences. Well, I have ranged and lived with people who were actually subsistence hunters uh, in Alaska. Uh, these were Native Americans and some latter-day uh, Anglo transplants. And they were actually trying to survive on what they could kill or catch. And this is primitive living at its, at its basic. And how did it, how did it all transpire? Did it, was it going well? Was it challenging? Or was it just like it would have been in the 1800s, you know, when you were cutting the firewood and going out hunting and then dressing and preparing? It was like an all-day all day experience. The Arctic is a very unforgiving place. Uh, I strongly suspect that some of the people I knew are now dead because they starved to death. 
Mm. Uh, that is the reality of living in such a harsh environment when you were not brought up in it, when you don't know all the tricks of the trade, so to speak. What about the what about the indigenous people that were there? What about the natives? Do you think that they are able to subside on hunting and fishing? Well, better, uh, much better than the people who think that Alaska is a wonderful place and they go up there and, uh, oh, I can survive in the wilderness, they say, and find out that uh, they are very, very ill-equipped to do that. Well, and we, as we, we recognize there was the movie a couple of years ago that chronicled the young boy who thought he could do exactly that and starve to death, which was really sad. Well, I want to talk about your book, which is, it, I'm looking at it as kind of a, a, a hunting Bible, because you not only, in the book Backyard Deer Hunting, we're speaking with author Hovey Smith, you not only talk about the rules, the regulations, getting the permits, but also how to set up the hunts, what to look for, and even how to scout and find roadkill. Now, I found the, the roadkill was absolutely fascinating because there are many people in parts of the country that don't have the ability perhaps to be hunting, but there's always a lot of deer on the road. I, never, I only thought that was like in movies, but it, it's really available to people. Well, yes, ma'am. Unfortunately, in California right now, in the Central Valley, uh, you're running about 26% unemployment this month. Yes, that's exactly right. So people are really needing to uh, tap into any food sources that are reasonably available. We have abundant deer throughout most of North America. A lot of these are killed on the roads. I personally think that any person who goes through the trouble of getting a deer off the side of the road cleaning it, cooking it for his family, takes his own risk, goes through all the fuss and must, should be able to utilize that deer. Unfortunately, state laws vary from state to state. Some states absolutely prohibit it, Texas being one. Other states, like Tennessee, are very liberal. Georgia is very liberal. Some others, yes, you may utilize a deer, but you may first contact a uh, state fish and game uh, person and get a tag for a roadkill deer. So state laws vary uh, all over the place about the utilization of roadkill. Well, and I think it's very, it, this is something you bring out in your book, and I really appreciated that you did that, is the importance of making sure that of the laws of your state. Because, you know, you talked um, in the book here about hunting for does, because there are so many deer, the population is exploding, and it it's a incredible, you know, venison's a wonderful food source, very low in calories, low in fat, and very healthy for you. But I know I grew up on a farm, and we would get tags only during harvest season to hunt for the does. However, we were not allowed to, uh, to eat them. We had to turn them over to fish and game. Well, in some states, uh, you, don't, you, aren't even, uh, you don't even do that. Uh, they're... Uh, you cannot utilize them at all. They're just left on the pulled off the off the field and left to rot. Which seems to me that is just not that's not what hunting's about. It really is about a food source. In in reality, in these times, laws like this that prohibit the utilization of roadkill, that don't allow a farmer who has deprivation permits to give these deer to people who need them, who want them desperately. These laws should be changed and need to be changed very, very badly. How can we change laws like this? Is this, a, is this going to be a letter-writing campaign? Is uh, it through organizations? This be a letter-writing campaign. Uh, you have, uh, of course, the proposition uh, thing in California, which is unique to your state. But, uh, yes, uh, we need to allow people to utilize these resources, particularly now. Because the, dead is all, the deer is already dead, or the, uh, perhaps even the hog or the moose or whatever we're talking about here. There are other animals besides deer that get killed, and uh, no reason not to use these things. Well, you know, you're in, it's interesting. In, well, we're talking to Hovey Smith, who is an expert in all kinds of hunting experiences. This new book is called Backyard Deer Hunting. And when you talk about the hog in the area where I live, we have a, a wild boar, wild hog problem that they're coming off the hills, coming down into the neighborhoods and causing great destruction. 
So the city has an ordinance where they hired hunters to go out and get them. However, they don't, they don't allow these pigs, these wild boars, to be given to any shelters or to given to anyone for food. And there's sort of an outrage in our area now because they would make excellent, you know, an excellent barbecue or, you know, you have many recipes in here. And so it seems, it seems really sad because when you talk about hunting, you talk about honoring the animal that's giving its life for the food. You know, by almost like it's almost a prayer. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. But just to be hunting for hunting's sake doesn't make much sense. Not when people are starving. Well, the removal of wild hogs that are causing problems, uh, wild hogs are a little different in the sense that they must be handled very carefully, something I bring out in the book, because uh, they do have diseases that you can get, and very serious diseases, by the way. These are not trivial things that you can get from blood-to-blood contact. So you have to be careful. You have to wear gloves and so on and so on and so on. So I suppose the position of the state is there is a degree of risk involved, so the state will not take any part of contributing to anything that carries a degree of risk. Well, and this is something in the book, Backyard Deer Hunting, that is so helpful because you also, besides talking about any kind of diseases or health risks, you talk about the weapons that can be used in hunting, as well as how to clean and fix a, 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 any kind of animal that you are going to be butchering, there, because there is a proper way of doing it. Well, yes, ma'am. What I try to do in the book is to write a book contained in one volume, all that someone who had seldom or never hunted before really needed to know. Of course, uh, taken to extreme, this could be an encyclopedia rather than a single book. But I, I look at it as, I, as a very simple Bible for people right now. It's, it's to the point, it's, and it's easy to read, and it is very well organized. So I like the fact that it's not an encyclopedia, but it's all the important tips. And if people aren't interested in the book themselves, I really think they should consider buying it to give to a library or give it to homeless people. I think it's a, a, a wonderful book for people who want to be able to feed themselves naturally. Yes, ma'am. Uh, this is a book, as I see it, that ought to be in almost every library in North America. Uh, libraries these days are, are very thin in really utilitarian books concerning hunting and the utilization of game. Uh, they may have hunting stories. They may have descriptive books on hunting tools. They'll have some hunting and fishing and fly fishing and blah, 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 but nothing in one volume that treats the whole subject the way I've done here. No, it's the first book that I have read, and something that you touched on quite a bit in the book that is important is hunting is not just for men. Anyone can be a good hunter. You do need to go through the the safety courses, know how to handle weapons, but women are exceptional hunters as well, and very often women don't get the credit for it. But I know my sister, she's been hunting and fishing and you know, since she was a young girl, and she's very, very excellent. Every time I call her, she's telling me some kind of recipe that, you know, she's got a pheasant or a wild duck or whatever. But she, has, she feeds her family a great deal on what she hunts. Well, yes, ma'am. Uh, those are my kind of women. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, know I knew she would be. Let's talk about some of your recipes, sure. uh, because these are recipes, most of which that you design. Sometimes you design them just, you know, out on the fly, because you would get something and you would, you would think, oh, it needs a little of this, a little of that. You, you use a lot of Spanish onions in uh, many of the things, and, of course, garlic always is good. But... Mm-hmm. Is there something that when you're working with game, is there a particular thing that people who are cooking game need to really watch for? Yes, ma'am. The beef we eat is the nearest we can come to an absolutely synthetic animal. There is no wild animal that carries as much fat in the muscle tissue as does domestic beef animals. This has been bred into the animals for thousands of years and is a very anomalous situation. No wild animal carries this much fat in the meat. So when you cook deer or any other game animal, you have to cook it with moisture. If you slice a deer steak and you just throw it on a frying pan, 
with a little oil, uh, you're going to get something that's tough and leathery and doesn't chews hard and doesn't taste particularly good. What you need to do with deer steak and any other deer recipe is make sure you have moisture with it. You cook a roast as a pot roast. You uh, take your uh, deer, if you want a, want a steak, and do a country fried steak where you batter it and then just brown it and finish it off with water and onions. On deer burgers, I just use ground deer meat, put those on a grill, give them a little smoke flavor, then put them in a pan, add water, and then steam them until they're done. That way the the burger is moist and it's not hard and tough. Well, and again, the meat is very lean and it's very, very good for you. But your recipes have lots of really good ingredients, you know, uh, bell peppers and tomatoes that are uh, chopped up or cucumbers or, you know, again, uh, lots of onions. I like all of that because it's very, uh, very simple, but it allows the taste of the game to come through. Well, yes, ma'am. Another thing that does well with deer is a little dill wheat. Dillweed gives a wonderful flavor to deer, and as a matter of fact, I take a, a deer sausage and I make a potato salad with it. Put you know, you talked about the, uh, a sausage sweet potato souffle. Yes, that ma'am. sounded so great. You made, uh, you made this with maple syrup for Christmas breakfast, or you said it's great New Year's Day. Sure. But I would have never thought of, you know, of making it this way. Can you use any... Anything to make that sausage, or is that specifically deer sausage? Well, I prefer deer sausage because it doesn't have the fat okay. that you would get from deer burger, uh, or, and especially not pork sausage. Uh, pork sausage is about 30% fat, and when I do sausage, I would say my fat content is more like 12% at most. So I add no fat to sausage. I just use the ground uh, the ground hog or the ground deer, and then use the spices, nor do I cure it, which uh, removes the curing compounds, which is really not too too healthy. So my sausages, by the time I get through with them, uh, are fresh, are good. They don't have the staying power of commercial sausages because they don't have the cure in them. But you uh, refrigerate them or freeze them, and then you take them out, thaw them out, and cook them as fresh sausage. And then you eat them right away. Well, one thing, too, is this, you have recipes that people probably wouldn't think about with using a deer or other game, like spaghetti sauce or an Indian curry. So besides being a book that tells you everything about how to hunt for game close to your home, uh, if it's permitted, you have the recipes to cook it, and lots of the recipes are things that people already know. They just haven't done it with, with game. Well, anything that you can use beef or ground beef with, uh, like lasagnas and chilies and curries and stews, uh, you can certainly substitute deer. Now, the book is called Backyard Deer Hunting. The author is Hovey Smith. It's how to really convert deer to dinner for pennies on the pound. But as you can hear us talking, it's not just about deer. It's really about any kind of, uh, of game where he tells you how to butcher it, to skin it, to prepare it, to cook it, to keep it, uh, whether it's put it in the freezer or the refrigerator. You also have a section in here about other critters as well. So you even, uh, you said they're not very tasty, but... Again, you can even hunt squirrels. Oh, squirrels are fine. Uh, they I have squirrel... a nice tasting meat, you said, just a little bit tough? Uh, yes, ma'am. You need to cook squirrels a while. Um, I, uh, I enjoy squirrel stew. Uh, we have a squirrel purlieu, uh, so-called, in the south, which is a sort of warmish dish, uh, something like Brunswick stew. And uh, so there are a lot of good, uh, good dishes from squirrels. Um, but... Also in there, I talk about uh, you know, things like geese and uh, turkeys. And so if you ever get a wild goose or a wild turkey, exactly what to do with it. Uh, most people uh, don't know. Uh, they've never plucked a turkey. And if you get something all full of feathers and big and large and 
strange smelling. It's a rather intimidating task to get the feathers off it. Yeah, it is. You, but all they have to do is pick, pick up your book, and they'll be able to find out how to put on the Ritz, basically, with Backyard Deer Hunting by Hovey Smith. You also have a full supplier and address section at the back, and some of his other books include Practical Bow Fishing, Crossbow Hunting, and you can read his blog. I want to send people to your website, Hovey, so that they can learn more how to eat healthy and to save money for their family. And this has just been such an interesting segment because it's something we just we haven't done and we really needed to look at this. Hovey's website is hoveysmith.com, H-O-V-Y. Smith.com. He also has a great blog at hobiesmith.wordpress.com. And of course, you do a lot of writing. You've been writing for many, many years. Do you want to leave us with some final words? Yes, ma'am. Go get them deer and eat them. Uh, All right. I'm going to look forward to having one of your venison steaks down the line. And it just sounds the way you prepare it is great. Oh, well, Hobie, it has been a pleasure to have you on with us, and I hope that our listeners will take advantage of picking up the book and at least donating it to a library so that there's more how-to in a library for people who would be interested in feeding their families. HobieSmith.com, thank you so much for being a guest on Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, you're very welcome, ma'am. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to announce the winners of the Be the Star You Are 6th Annual Essay Contest. Stay with us. The excitement is mounting. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the Star You Are. Back in just a few seconds. Okay. Yep, sounds good. Great. Thank you. That was wonderful, Hovia. I really enjoyed your book. and. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Two seven. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, we appreciate that you have stayed with us. The excitement is here. I am excited to announce some winners. Since 1993, in an effort to boost writing and reading skills, Be the Star You Are charity has hosted an annual national essay contest. This year was the sixth national competition. It has now been completed. All essays are judged by several judges anonymously. And today we are going to announce the winners and the honorable mentions. This year's competition was sponsored by author William Gladstone with his novel, The Twelve, which is heralded as the true story of 2012. For more information on his book, 
go to www.12thebooks.com. The topic of this year's competition was who is your role model or mentor, and in what ways has this person changed your life for the better? The judges awarded four honorable mentions this year. Interestingly, two were fantastic teen writers. They were young teenagers, and again, it's all anonymous, so we don't know who wrote what until we look at who won and then match them up with the bios. And then two were adults with excellently penned essays. The honorable mentions went to teenagers Kylie Wilcox and Vivian Lee, and the two honorable mention adults were Mary Sue Wickham and Susan Engel. So congratulations, ladies, for those entries. But now we have our first prize winners. The drum roll. Tied for the grand prize in the 6th annual Be The Star You Are National Essay Contest, sponsored by Be The Star You Are and the 12, are... Pamela Lewis and Margaret Montet. Congratulations, and we have our winners with us. Pamela and Margaret, hello. Hello. Are you excited? Extremely. Yes. Well, I, I am going to talk to each of you, and you're both going to read your essay. So I just wanted to first, uh, I'm going to ask Pam a question first, and then Margaret, I'm going to ask you one, and then we'll have you read your essays. But Pamela, I've noticed that you entered the competition before. You were an honorable mention, but you've never won first prize, so perseverance paid off. Yes, it did. I, I know that uh, the last time, uh, I think I came awfully close, and so it was uh, inspiration for me to try one more time to give it the college try. And uh, when I saw the topic, um, it immediately occurred to me to write uh, on the person that I did. And uh, I think that really helped me to, to try to put out a little bit more effort. Well, uh, and I will just say that who she wrote about was her mother, and she's going to read it in just a second. But I love it. Uh, I really believe in perseverance and persistence because we never know how close we are, you know, until we do it one more time. And look at you won. And, again, no one knew that it was your essay. So it, this is so terrific. Now, Margaret, I think that this is your first time entering our competition as far as I know. How did you hear about it, and how did you feel when you found out that you're a winner? Oh, I was thrilled. I saw the um, the competition advertised on a writer's site, and I thought, why not? I knew of a mentor that I could write about, and when I started writing, it just flew from my pen because this oh, person yeah. meant so and much. And I want to just say a couple of things about both women, which I found interesting when you read their bios is that Margaret is uh, both a writer and a librarian from New Jersey, and she's published other articles, etc. And Pamela is a, a teacher of French in a Manhattan high school. So you're both in this, the profession of, of writing and helping other people, young people, or, you know, you're in that literacy area. So it makes me really excited when, you know, you are really living your passion. So I think we'll just do it alphabetically. And Pam, how about if you read your essay first, since you, uh, you know, you were uh, so close before, and now you've done it. So if you don't mind, we're going to have you read O M I the uh, O M L O M I O M L O M L. Yes. It's and this is um, the story from Pamela Lewis that is about her mother. Thank you very much. O-M-L. Mom would have scoffed at the term, no doubt about it. Role model, me, cha. And the cha would have been preceded by a clicking tisk of tongue against teeth, a distinctly Guyanese expression of mild ridicule. But my rebuttal is contained in the sturdy, light blue train case my mother had carried with her in 1944, when she left what was still called British Guiana to come with her husband, my father, to settle in New York. The embossed initials OML for Olga Millicent Lewis, once bright gilt, are now barely discernible. My mother's documents, her immigrant attributes as I call them, birth certificate, first passport, citizenship papers, each bearing her photo displaying the strong and noble face that meets the viewer's gaze directly, all say, yes, 
You were a role model, and we are the proof of that. Nearly eight years have passed since my mother died, and close to 70 since she first stepped foot on American soil. Whenever I lift the lid of that train case and carefully touch those precious papers, I wonder if I could have done what she had done and with as much patience and grace, such as leaving home and loved ones to live with a husband she knew only through a brief courtship, as well as turning her back on her well-ordered colonial world for the boundless New York universe where everyone spoke, moved, and even ate fast where the seasons changed and she would have to make an acquaintance with winter and snow. Against Dad's wishes, Mom took work in the garment district, an immigrant among other immigrants, all struggling and striving to become more American with every dress or blouse they sewed. Not unlike a high-wire performer, Mom held her balance between learning American lingo, customs, and cuisine, while keeping a firm hold on her old-world ways. Could I, without benefit of instruction manual or even the omniscient Dr. Spock, have entered motherhood? Bereft only days old of her own mother and reared with her two slightly older sisters, by a loving but strict father, she nonetheless figured out how to raise and guide me, her only child, drawing more from hunches than experience, buttressed by common sense and her unalloyed love. Without my beloved OML, I could not have learned to be a person of faith, for it is she who taught me my first prayers and a knowledge of God. And implicit in her oft-repeated mantra, a lady reveals neither her age, weight, nor if she's had a past, was her conviction that being a woman and a lady is no contradiction. Could I have witnessed the illness and eventual death of my husband and kept on moving to raise my still young daughter alone? If mom ever doubted her ability to do so, I was unaware of it. She prevailed despite her grief and maintained a positive outlook. Although she is gone, mom's example to me is deathless. But her life that was bound by faith, courage, and pride is now a loving and inspiring guide to my own. That is so beautiful, Pamela. That just touched everyone's heart. And I know that your mother is listening right now. I'm sure she is. I I do believe that she is in on what I've said about her, and uh, I hope she's pleased. Oh, I'm sure she's pleased, and I think that what's so wonderful is that you've carried this love for her, that she is a role model through your your life and are honoring her in this way. So congratulations to you. And now I'm going to have Margaret read her beautiful award-winning essay that has tied for the grand prize. That is called Jeeps, Leipzig, and Anesthetics, Remembering My Mentor, Dr. Caro. So take it away, Margaret. Okay, thank you. I sat at a table with seven other mid-career college librarians. Our exercise was to write a short essay about our favorite teacher ever and then share with the group. Ultimately, we were to discover what made these teachers successful and incorporate those techniques into our own teaching. I wrote about Dr. Stimson Caro, a music theory professor with whom I studied as an undergraduate and graduate student at Temple University. He was everyone's favorite, really, after they got over the shock of having to come to class prepared. He was tough on us undergraduates, drilling us on scales, chords, and key signatures, the language of music theory, until, as he said, we'd be able to recite all of the key signatures in the middle of the night at the point of a gun. (laughs) He addressed us by Mr., Miss, or Mrs., and our last name. No other professors did that. He took the time to learn all of our names and the correct pronunciation. In graduate school, he relaxed a bit and frequently took us on wild tangents that put his passion for music in context and helped us understand Dr. Caro as a real person. He told us about the time he borrowed an army jeep in Germany so he could go visit J.S. Bach's grave in Leipzig. When I visited Leipzig on a recent tour of Germany, Dr. Caro was as much on my mind as J.S. Bach. 
He also told us about the time he was locked up, I don't remember why, and taught the other prisoners in his cell music theory. No one doubted that story. Dr. Caro also taught the eye-opening aesthetics course, which somehow helped us appreciate music, art, literature, and history, and tied them all together. That course changed the way I think about arts and culture, so important in my life. As I read my essay years later at the Librarians' Conference, I began to weep. My neighbor had to finish reading for me. The other people at the table were touched and shed tears, too. How odd. No one was more surprised by this than me. It was at this moment that I realized all the things I do when teaching that are unconsciously modeled on Dr. Caro. My stories aren't as interesting as Dr. Caro's, but I try to put the students at ease. Everyone is new to the library at some time or another. I've learned to respect each and every student because I'll never know their whole story or what makes them tick. And whenever I'm speaking, whether it's to students, faculty, conference participants, or whoever, I strive to make my content interesting and relevant. I imagine them asking, what's in it for me? And then I tell them, it works. I'm even invited to speak about library topics now. Dr. Caro has been gone for some time now, so I'll never be able to tell him how much his music theory and aesthetics classes made me a better librarian. If I had thought to ask, what's in it for me back in Dr. Caro's classes, the answer would have gone something like this. A thorough knowledge of music theory, a new appreciation for all of the arts, and an ability to put listeners at ease and even make them laugh. Dr. Caro was a man of faith and dreamed of sitting beside J.S. Bach on the organ bench in heaven to turn his music pages. Maybe I'll catch up with him there, although I'm not sure J.S. Bach needs printed music. <laughs> excellent, excellent, Margaret. You know, with both of you, it's just such a pleasure to know that people have had such a great impact on your life. And when you were writing this, did it just come alive for you, Margaret? Yes. Yes, it just came out. I hardly edited. I just wrote it like this. So it was as if that he was almost there just talking to you. Yes. And I thought, what I thought was so interesting with yours is we are really affected by the teachers and our role models in our lives. And when we take time to think about why we do what we do, just like with you, Pamela, is we realize that we are reenacting re what our mothers taught us or what your teacher taught you because you really learned, you grew from that. Right. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, it's interesting that very often we don't realize how important these people have been in our lives until after they are gone. And um, I had a very close relationship with my mother, but it was after her death that a lot of the important aspects of our relationship and and her essence really started to come to the the surface for me and i had time to reflect over these years now since she's passed uh... into what degree uh... those teachings and and a lot of those sayings that she used to uh... mention to me and sometimes got on my nerves or that uh... made me uncomfortable now make a lot of sense well do you think and margaret i address this to you as well is Maybe a lesson that we need to take away from both of your essays and how this impacted is how important it is to tell people while they're alive the, the, the impact that they're having on us and to show our appreciation in the present time. Oh, absolutely. I wish I could have told Mr. Dr. Caro all the things that he did for me, you know, just opening my mind and, and then later on what an impact it made in me professionally. Well, and I will say to you, too, I'm sure that he is, you know, dancing in heaven and <laughs> playing with the angels in Bach, and he's excited. Or maybe, maybe, uh, Pam, your mom is dancing to his music. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Either of you have image. a website, or is there any, any place that you wanted to send our listeners? I do have a blog. I'd love to yes, plug. Yes, you do do um, a lot of blogging. Tell us about Give us that out, please. Sure. Um, I have a blog. It's margaretmontet.blogspot.com. And, and this is where... M-O-N-T-E-T. Uh-huh. margaretmontet.blogspot.com. And I write lots of travel articles and essays that focus on destinations near my home in New Jersey and 
food and games and hobbies and things like that. So Excellent. It's all fun and I'll also say Pamela is a contributor to the book Be the Star You Are for Teens, and you can actually pick up a copy of that book at bethestarur.com and read her incredible story that made it into that book. Both of the essays of our award winners, Margaret Montat and Pamela Lewis, will be uh, published at bethestarur.org under writing, so you will be able to see them there. And at starstyleradio.com, you will see their beautiful faces. They're both such happy, happy women, and we, we can all celebrate together. They'll be receiving copies of the book, The Twelve, and the copy of the book, Be the Star You Are, as well as monetary awards. So congratulations to both of you. It is thrilling, and I'm just so excited to make this announcement today of two writers who have won the national award. Congratulations, Margaret and Pamela. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you for joining us here on Be the Star You Are. Thank you to all the listeners. I hope this inspired you to get your pen to paper and write about what's meaningful to you. Until we celebrate next week, we hope you'll look at the website, bethestarur.org, and learn to celebrate in the moment. Say I love you to someone. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Thank you for joining me. We will play again next week. Ciao for now. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are nonprofit corporation, please visit bethestarur.org. That's bethestarur.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker, a dreamer, courage to...